0: Hello, and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now. I'm your host, Mike Desabedo, and this week I am joined by Megan Eastman and Rick Marshall to discuss Facebook's new currency called Libra. Shout out to all my Libras out there. And the recently approved expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline by its owner, the Canadian government. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. All right, context. Context time. I think this is important before we dive into Facebook's cryptocurrency. First, the currency is called Libra. Shout out to all my Libras out there. It's termed a stable coin, meaning its value will be pinned to conventional financial assets like government-backed currencies and securities. And the goal is to avoid massive fluctuations in value so Libra can be used for everyday transactions in a way that more volatile cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin haven't been. To do this, the nonprofit company Facebook has governing the currency, pegged it to a basket of different currencies, so it won't be uh, consistently worth one dollar or one euro or anything like that. Here's our stack card for Facebook. It's rated a triple B. The company's woes have been quite public, so you know we, like everyone else, is worried about privacy and data concerns. And while it is an issue throughout the interactive media and services industry. Facebook has the highest risk exposure to controversy, and we continue to find shortcomings in its approach to privacy protection, especially on issues such as transparency and, you know, actually getting consent from people to share their information. But what we grapple with in our conversation is whether Libra will provide better access to finance, something we actually rank the banking sector on, but not usually something we focus on for media companies. Okay, so Megan and Rick, thanks for joining me. Before we begin, if you'll allow me, I wanted to paraphrase what Facebook thinks the opportunities for Libra are as listed in their announcement white paper. Give people more money. Give people more money fast. Give people control over their money. Decentralize the government's money and just fix the world. Libra seems to be the Jared Kushner of problem solvers. So Megan, Rick, I ask you, is any of this possible? Will Libra actually work?
1: will it work? I mean, probably. Will it work in the way that that manifesto you just quoted <laughs> from suggests? I don't know. I mean, when I first read about this, I was like, I'm not using it. But then I, you know, I thought about it a little more and I I could actually see it maybe taking off in other markets or for other kind of users because of that access to financial services angle so I don't know I
2: would I would be hesitant to say that I think this is going to be a big success I I, I just I don't think we can know that but I do think that this is a uh, an important new development I, I don't think it's the the last of this kind of innovation we're going to see in this area I wouldn't be surprised to see other firms like Amazon for example Um, jumping in with something similar.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I
2: think this whole approach and idea, the the concept behind it, has a pretty good future. I I really do think there's there's a lot of promise here. Um, The manifesto kind of throws a lot of things against the wall as if they're hoping something will stick, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they probably would be happy with any one or two of those um, working out. So, you know, it's early days. It reminds me a lot of the early days of the web
0: yeah I think it could take off in certain groups but I'm not exactly sure Facebook is the company to make it happen but I think for one if banks don't get a hold of these types of new currencies they run the risk of being subverted by tech companies that are taking advantage of the high fee and untrustworthy operations of traditional banks and the banks are going to be forced to address the problems they've at times created yeah, but let's ask a dis- different question here. Let's not
2: ask which do you trust more with your money, a bank or Facebook. Let's ask the question, how do you feel about the possibility of making your transactions work within a, a, a given um, uh, marketplace, let's say, let's call it, uh, without having to... Um, give a cut to the intermediary uh, we currently think of as banks. That's access I mean, to financing. Right? Yeah, that e- exactly. Is. I mean, that that's a very different question.
0: Can we talk about the access to finance situation? Because it's been such a vogue word in ESG for companies uh, not only like Facebook, but that are not considered typically socially responsible companies like MasterCard and Visa, who say if we can give people access to financial services through their phones, for example, they can do what Muhammad Yunus' Grameen Bank does and allow people to better their lives by achieving financial independence. and And this is what Facebook seems to be laying its Libra currency upon. And does that actually bear out? Do either of you think that if you just get some capital, then equality will rain down upon you like uh, the rains of the monsoon?
1: (laughs) Not necessarily, but there is some pretty good evidence that hooking up people with limited capital with access to these kinds of services does, on average, help them multiply that capital and and do better and provides opportunities to do business or have transactions or whatever that, that might otherwise be difficult. So I think that actually could be part of what ends up driving this, especially in places like emerging markets or even just among demographic segments for whom banks are a real hassle. Access to financial services is a huge boon for people who need it, but it can also be really exploitative. And I think at this point, you know, we have no way of knowing how this is going to play out, whether it will be the Libra or some other currency by some other company at some point in the future. But I think you've got those two kind of sides of the scale constantly playing against each other. And it's hard to know in advance which one is going to end up dominant.
0: It's going to be that's a good point. It's going to be interesting if one day Facebook says, hey, what if we gave you your salary in Libra? And there's like a 22-year-old that's coming out of college and saying, okay, I like that idea. Like he's kind of into the he or she, they are kind of into the cryptocurrency, kind of into the Bitcoin realm. And they get their salary in Libra. And all of a sudden Libra tanks. And there's some sort of legal regulatory scandal with Facebook because of that. I mean, it seems very, very plausible. All these tech companies love to give their product as a incentive to join the company. A- absolutely.
2: That's the uh, perfect parallel to where we were um and and still are to a, to a degree when equity is used equity in the company is used as an incentive you know where employees take pay mm-hmm, yeah. in stock or <clears throat> stock options if they hold all of their their personal wealth in the stock of that one company and there's you know as you say it tanks then they've lost everything as well so it, it raises a whole a whole wealth of questions around that but we're going to see that. I'm I absolutely certain that. I, I don't know if it will be Libra at Facebook, um, but we're certainly going to see employees offer digital currency as, as pay at some point.
0: So some uptake. Does Libra take hold of the world and Mark Zuckerberg achieves world dominance a la Jeff Bezos?
1: <laughs> yes, but not necessarily as a raging success. I, I guess that's a caveat. Sorry, Mike.
2: Yes, but I'd rate it a black swan, meaning I, I'd put, I, I wouldn't want to not bet on it, I'd put, but I wouldn't want to put much on it.
0: Yeah, I would not put anything. I'm, I'm going to say a heavy no. I would not put heavy no. any dollar into Libra. I distrust various banks, but whew, I distrust Facebook a little bit more. More context for story two. Oh, yes, listener. The expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which would link the Alberta oil sands with the rest of North America, was approved by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The expansion would triple the capacity of its current pipeline and fix a transportation bottleneck in the Alberta oil industry that is so bad, its oil has been discounted to the lowest level possible, and the Alberta government issued production curtailments that might extend into 2020. Trudeau allowed this to happen because he got carbon tax approval from the Alberta government, and so it was kind of a switch there. There isn't a stack card for the pipeline because the Canadian government bought the pipeline from Kinder Morgan a year ago. So we rank Kinder Morgan at a double B, but I think a better comparison is to look at the Keystone XL pipeline and other pipelines. So the Trans Mountain Pipeline is transporting oil sands, as did the Keystone Pipeline, and that created a lot of objection around its being built. The Trans Mountain Pipeline is also encroaching on indigenous lands, as did Keystone. Another good comparison is the Dakota Access Pipeline that fell into similar disarray and was delayed, which, according to our industry report, the social costs and material loss of the delay resulted in a us 1.4 billion dollar loss over the 10-month period from august 2016 to june 2017 when the dakota access pipeline came into service so this does not bode well for the trans mountain pipeline but megan and rick i want to know what you think is this pipeline similarly doomed or not
1: I think it's definitely got the potential for it. I mean, we've seen pipeline after pipeline in North America be extremely controversial in the communities that they pass through. A lot of them are passing through indigenous lands and that was a big part of the whole Dakota Access pipeline uh thing and that's going to be the case for the Trans Mountain one as well. And so, you know, I think already you're seeing community groups and representatives kind of lining up to say we don't want this thing. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if it gets delayed and hung up in lawsuits. And, and even if it goes forward, if it ends up costing a lot more than expected, if only because of delays.
2: One of the problems is the, the corrosive nature of the oil coming out of those sands, which is why that oil is still there and still available but can't be delivered. Um, and, and that's the the key issue here is the additional cost involved in extracting and transporting that oil because of the corrosive nature and some of the other envir- environmental concerns that are raised by tapping that particular supply of oil. Um, mm-hmm. they, yeah. they, they, they shift the balance of the value, um, uh, you know, over the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point where the, re- the reason that government is involved in this is because from a corporate perspective, this is no longer profitable. You know, the the idea of making a profit by going this way is gone. Um, you know, it's, it's ultimately, this will be a race against the clock, and the determination as to whether it's completed or not will be based on the valuation of that resource um, as delivered versus its cost, including all of the environmental and social costs. And, you know, if I had to bet, I'd say probably there will be shovels in the ground, and parts of it will be built, um, but it will never be completed. It will never be connected.
1: Now, Mike, it, when you were setting up the story, you mentioned that part of the deal with Trudeau approving this was that it was an exchange for carbon tax, which I thought was super interesting. Uh, he's basically yeah, horse, now. Trading, horse trading one kind of environmental impact against another and, and betting that the carbon tax is the more important thing long term.
0: Well, the New York Times is actually reporting that the Canadian government is going to use the profits from the pipeline to build more alternative energy systems, which is is likely how the transition to a low-carbon economy is going to happen because it's tough to imagine fossil fuel companies will not take part in either uh, it either profiting off of it directly or indirectly. And I think as an investor you have to ask yourself if it is worth weathering the social and environmental damage caused by many of these pipelines for an unknown predictable amount of profit. I think
2: it's it's helpful to look at what's happened with other pipelines, but ultimately this isn't about pipelines at all. Ultimately, this is about the underlying resource and the value of that resource, and the better comparison is probably to the coal industry. Um, in the coal industry, we literally reached a point where it was no longer profitable to sell coal. Now there's been some pushback there will be pushback on all of these kinds of technologies.
0: Yeah, and the pushback seems to even now be from companies against a project's genesis. And investors might become so allergic to infrastructure projects which are seen as environmentally problematic, which is great, you know, good. I'm I'm here for that. But an unforeseen consequence might be that when these projects are vital for the current running of the economy, the public sector might take over. I mean, this could reverberate into insurance companies, to companies that are on the hook to finance the cleanup of super funds that are just going to say where they just say, look, we can't we can't deal with this type of money that's needed to account for these environmental concerns. You take care of it. If you really want to insure your people, you take care of it.
1: I think that's a really interesting point, And it harkens back to what Rick said earlier, is that the reason that this is now a government owned project is because the companies that have been doing these kinds of things such as Enbridge with the Dakota Access Pipeline have gotten burned and as you say you know investors have gotten burned along with it and yet there are still folks feeling that the project is needed and so it's getting shifted onto government and maybe becoming more expensive.
0: That's it for our show. Thanks so much to Rick Marshall and Megan Eastman for joining us today to talk about this week's news with ESG Twist. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and thank you so much for listening. And a big shout-out to Matt Muscardi, who filled in last week. We love the guy. He's always doing a great job. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on wherever you get your podcasts. It's always helpful. And shoot us an email if you have any comments, good or bad. We enjoy hearing your thoughts. Have a great rest of the week and talk
3: to you soon. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940.